Well, good morning, everyone. I invite you to open up your Bibles to the book of 1 Kings, 1 Kings chapter 16. We're going to be in verses 8 through 28 this morning in 1 Kings chapter 16. You can find that on page 298 of your Pew Bibles. Now, this Sunday, we begin a new sermon series on Elijah and Elisha in the books of 1 and 2 Kings that we are calling Kingdoms in Conflict. Kingdoms in Conflict. Now, many of us are familiar with the stories surrounding the miraculous and powerful ministries of these two prophets. However, we often overlook the context in which their ministry takes place. That is, as we will see this morning, within the context of the ruling of the house of Omri. The house of Omri. Now, to understand what's going on with the house of Omri in the nation of Israel, we need to go back to the founding of the kingdom of God in David's royal line. You see, David's dynasty, David's royal line, has been blessed by the Lord. The prophet Nathan brings David a message from the Lord that he will build his house. And so in 2 Samuel we read, Your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. This promise is ultimately fulfilled in the eternal reign of of Christ, David's descendant, even as we've been reminded over the past several weeks that of his kingdom and of his rule, there shall be no end. And yet, by the third generation of David's line, the house is in trouble. The kingdom is split because of the rebellion of David's son, Rehoboam. And therefore, the northern part of Israel breaks off from the southern part of Israel. And in the north, we refer to this land as Israel. In the south, Judah. David's descendants continue to rule over the nation of Judah, but a new line of kings comes to power in the north in Israel. The house of Jeroboam is established. But unlike David, Jeroboam does not have a heart to follow after the Lord. Rather, he leads the people of Israel in false worship and idolatry. And here, a pattern begins that we will see play out in the book of Kings. Namely, that the kingdoms of man rise and fall by the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord came to David and his kingdom was established. And like David, Jeroboam also receives a word from the Lord through a prophet. But the word of the Lord is not to establish the house of Jeroboam, but rather that the Lord will destroy his kingdom. So in 1 Kings chapter 14, we read this word of the Lord brought to Jeroboam. Therefore, behold, I will bring harm upon the house of Jeroboam and will cut off from Jeroboam every male, both bond and free in Israel, and will burn up the house of Jeroboam as a man burns up dung until it is all gone. And so when Jeroboam's son, Nadab, comes to the throne, the Lord raises up a man named Basha, to kill him and all of Jeroboam's descendants. And then Basha's house is established as ruling over Israel. A new kingdom, a new dynasty. 
And yet he too rebels against the Lord and leads the people in idolatry. And so the Lord promised through another prophet that the second house ruling over Israel would also be destroyed. And the first part of 1 Kings 16 we read, Since I exalted you out of the dust and made you leader over my people Israel, and you have walked in the way of Jeroboam, and have made my people Israel to sin, provoking me anger with their sins, behold, I will utterly sweep away Bashaw and his house, and I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. You see, this is the pattern that is playing out in the book of Kings. A kingdom rises and falls according to the word of the Lord. Because of the sin Because of the sin of man, the kingdom of God is continually in conflict with the kingdom of man. And this this kingdom conflict creates instability and it creates weakness in Israel. And so throughout the book of 1 Kings and into 2 Kings, we continually ask this this question, will this conflict continue? Will Israel be thrown into utter chaos? Or will stability be brought back to the people of God? And as we read the word of the Lord, what we will see is that only those who follow the word of the Lord will stand. But all who rebel against his word will truly fall. So here now, the word of the Lord. First Kings chapter 16, beginning in verse 8. In the 26th year of Asa, king of Judah, Elah, the son of Bashaw, began to reign over Israel in Tirzah. And he reigned two years. But his servant Zimri, commander of half his chariots, conspired against him. When he was at Tirzah, drinking himself drunk in the house of Arza, who was over the household in Tirzah, Zimri came in and struck him down and killed him. In the 27th year, Asa, king of Judah, and reigned in his place. When he began to reign, as soon as he had seated himself on his throne, he struck down all the house of Bashah. He did not leave him a single male of his relatives or his friends. Thus Zimri destroyed all the house of Bashah according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke against Bashah by Jehu the prophet. For all the sins of Bashah and the sins of Allah, his son, which they sinned, which they made Israel to sin, provoking the Lord God of Israel to anger with their idols. Now the rest of the acts of Allah and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel? In the 27th year of Asa, king of Judah, Zimri reigned seven days in Tirzah. Now the troops were encamped against Gibbethon, which belonged to the Philistines. And the troops who were encamped heard it said, Zimri has conspired and has killed the king. Therefore all Israel made Omri, the commander, the army, king over Israel that day in the camp. So Omri went up from Gibbethon and all Israel with him. And they besieged Tirzah. And when Zimri saw that the city was taken, he went into the citadel of the king's house and burned the king's house over him with fire and died because of his sins that he committed doing evil in the sight of the Lord, walking in the way of Jeroboam and for his sin which he committed, making Israel to sin. Now the rest of the acts of Zimri 
and the conspiracy that he made, are they not written in the books of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel? Then the people of Israel were divided into two parts. Half of the people followed Tibni, the son of Ginnath, to make him king, and half followed Omri. But the people who followed Omri overcame the people who followed Tibni, the son of Ginnath. So Tibni died, and Omri became king. In the 31st year of Asa, king of Judah, Omri began to reign over Israel, and he reigned for 12 years. Six years he reigned in Tirzah. He bought the hill of Samaria from Shemer for two talents of silver. And he fortified the hill and called the name of the city that he built Samaria after the name of Shemer, the owner of the hill. Omri did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did more evil than all who were before him. For he walked in all the way of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and in the sins that he made Israel to sin, provoking the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger by their idols. Now the rest of the acts of Omri that he did and the might that he showed, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel? And Omri slept with his fathers and was buried in Samaria. And Ahab, his son, reigned in his place. This is God's holy word for us as people. Let us pray. Oh, Father God, we come to you now. Lord, as we come to your word, we pray, O oh Lord, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts that would understand the truth that you are speaking forth. Lord, that we would see the truth that is in Christ alone and it's his kingdom that we find ultimate peace. Lord, as we come to your word, would you give to us your spirit in great abundance that his influence and his power might change us. We pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen. If we had to choose a word to describe the kingdom of Israel in this passage, it would surely be instability. Instability as one king rises and falls and another comes and another falls and another comes. And so as we come to this text, we're asking, who is it that will bring stability and peace to God's people? The first candidate to bring stability back to the people of God is Allah, the son of Bashar. Following the death of his father, Allah comes to the throne. But quickly we find that Allah has one passion and one alone, and it's not reforming the ways of the people of God. Rather, it's soaking up more liquor than a rum cake. Look at what we read in verses 8 through 9. It says, in the 26th year of Asa, king of Judah, Elah, the son of Bashah, began to reign over Israel in Tirzah, and he reigned two years, but his servant Zimri, commander of half his chariots, conspired against him. When he was at Tirzah, drinking himself drunk in the house of Erzah, who was over the household in Tizrah. You see, Elah was king for two years, and he did nothing to turn the people of Israel back. To their God. Rather, he spent his time in a drunken stupor. Now, Allah's drunkenness is not primarily about the evils of alcohol. Rather, it's about the nature of leadership. 
Proverbs 31.4 says, It is not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to take strong drink, lest they drink and forget what has been decreed and pervert the rights of all the afflicted. We know that the army of Israel was in the midst of battle with the Philistines. But their king, their leader, was not present. To lead a people is a job that takes clear-headed thinking. Nevertheless, Allah wants nothing to do with his leadership responsibilities. Rather, he wants to take advantage of his position of power to indulge the flesh. There are freedoms that must be sacrificed to stand in places of leadership. And yet, the leaders in our communities and in our families have often forgotten this reality. That power is not to be used for our own enjoyment and privilege, but rather for the service of those under your care. Even as the Lord Jesus, our King, came not to be served, but to serve. Now, there are many stones that we could throw at governmental leaders and their abuse of power. Yet we must also look at ourselves and ask, Have we given in to the desires of the flesh to the neglect of those under our care? Fathers, have you spent more time watching college football than teaching your children the catechism? That question goes right to me. Mothers, have you spent more time on Facebook than face-to-face time with your children? Grandparents, have you given in to materialism and sought to show love through purchasing clothes and toys and not through service and sacrifice and prayer at work and in the community and in the church? We have an opportunity to lay down our own lives like Christ laid down His in service, sacrificing ourselves for others. There's nothing wrong with college football or Facebook or giving gifts to your grandkids, but it's not fit for a leader to indulge when there is so much work to be done within the kingdom. And so Allah meets Zimri. And we read in verses 11 and following, when he began to reign as soon as he had seated himself on his throne, this is Zimri, He struck down all the house of Bashar. He did not leave him a single male of his relatives or his friends. Thus Zimri destroyed all the house of Bashar according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke against Bashar by Jehu the prophet. For all the sins of Bashar and the sins of Allah his son, which they sinned and which they made Israel to sin, provoking the Lord God of Israel to anger with their idols. You see, no kingdom will stand against the word of the Lord. The house of Jeroboam was utterly destroyed, and now the house of Bashar, in like fashion, is utterly destroyed. So Allah didn't work out. So who's the next candidate? Well, it's old Zimri. Maybe he will establish a kingdom in Israel that will bring about peace and stability for God's people. I mean, he seems to be a rather ruthless man. Maybe he'll be able to turn his ruthlessness into shrewdness and bring the people of Israel back to a place of peace. And so we read in verse 15 of his reign. In the 27th year of Asa, king of Judah, Zimri reigned seven days in Tirzah. Seven days he reigned. 
William Henry Harrison made it at least a month. This guy didn't even make it a whole week. Old Zimri. He acted the assassin, but he couldn't hold the kingdom. And within a week, he's running away from a military coup. He bars himself in the citadel and he burns it to the ground. What a tragic fall for a king of God's people. And yet he set himself against the word of the Lord and vainly sought to build a house apart from the blessing of God. And the turmoil of Israel continues. The army of Israel for decades had been seeking to retake the town of Gibbethon from the Philistines. But because of the acts of Zimri, they abandoned their post to end his reign. Instead of building the kingdom, Zimri burns it to the ground. Not only did he fail to bring stability, in his short reign of power, he brought more chaos to Israel. And the text says that in his week-long reign that he did evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the ways of Jeroboam. Commentator Dale Ralph Davis makes the point that Zimri's short reign as king shows us how fleeting our own successes are. We could work a lifetime to achieve a personal, educational, or professional goal only to see the glory of that goal fade in a moment. We'll throw ourselves into making the next promotion, hitting the next sales projection, running the next 5K. And none of these things are bad in and of themselves, but they are fleeting. And if you find yourself opposed to the word of the Lord, they will not stand. For as we read in Psalm 127, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Many of us have goals for the next year, for 2022. And the question is, are your goals focused on the word of the Lord? Are you building in your own power? Because if you are, you are building in vain. You are not acting according to the word of the Lord. For we must submit our goals and our desires to what the Lord has for us. Jeroboam's house is vain. Bashaw's house is vain. Zimri's house is vain. Though the achievements of man and the kingdoms of this world seem impressive to us, they are nothing in the sight of the Lord. And unless the Lord establishes them, they'll be gone in a moment. What we read in our text is that after three houses rise and fall in the kingdom of Israel, it is thrown into complete and utter chaos, even civil war. Look down at verse 21. There we read, Then the people of Israel were divided into two parts. Half of the people followed Tibni, the son of Ganah, to make him king, and half followed Omri. What a legacy that Jeroboam has brought to the people of Israel. His house destroyed, Bashaw's house destroyed, Zimri destroyed, and now civil war. This is what occurs when leadership stands against the word of God. Chaos, vanity, and division. And much of the division that we see within the church today comes from such ungodly leadership. For example, for generations, the Presbyterian church in America was biblically and theologically sound. And yet, leadership within the mainline denomination began to slowly drift from the Word of God. 
allowing ministers to deny the virgin birth of Christ or the substitutionary nature of His atoning death. And as the leadership of the church began to turn from the Word of God, the Presbyterian church began to fall apart. First, in the early 20th century, the Orthodox Presbyterian church split off. Then later, the Presbyterian Church in America, the PCA, split off. And then, in the early 80s, the EPC, our denomination, the Evangelical Presbyterian Church, split off from the denomination. And now, more and more churches are fleeing an institution that was once a light to this nation and is now nothing more than a reflection of the culture with a vain and thin veneer of biblical language. They took their stand against the Word of the Lord, and now this denomination is being destroyed. And so too will be the fate of any church or any institution or any government that sets itself against the word of the Lord. The Lord will cause nations to rise and He will cause them to fall and it all happens according to His word. Those who oppose Him will truly fall and there will be nothing but chaos and division and war. Christian, to stand against the Word of God is folly. And all who do it bring nothing but chaos. Now, after four years of division, this civil war comes to an end and Omri is crowned king. Now, maybe Omri will bring stability to the people of Israel. We have three failed dynasties, but now maybe a house will be established that will last. And at first glance, we might think that Omri will do this, that he will return Israel to a place of stability and peace. There are several reasons why we might think this. First, we see in our text that he rules for a considerable amount of time compared to the kings before him. He is king for 12 years. And not only that, the crown passes to his son Ahab without any conflict. Omri was also a builder. We read that he bought the hill of Samaria and there he built a new royal palace. There was an, This was an extremely intelligent move because Samaria was easy to defend because it was up on a hill and it was also on a trade route. Omri, from the world's perspective, is a good and shrewd king who will bring stability and peace to the people of God. And that is exactly what extra-biblical history tells us. For the next hundred years, all the Assyrian texts that we have refer to Israel as the house of Omri. Clearly, his leadership was vigorous and his legacy was lasting. And we might have hoped that Omri will provide a foundation for a godly kingdom because of everything we know of Omri parallels the life of David. Peter Lionheart points out that, like David, Omri was a commander of Israel's armies before he became king, who was fighting against the Philistines. Like David, Omri succeeds a failed suicidal king. Like David, he becomes king only after a civil war. Like David, his kingship is divided between two capital cities. Like David, Omri buys a hill upon which he builds his new capital. And like David, Omri has a son who will eventually build a temple upon the hill that was purchased. 
All signs point to the end of conflict in Israel. Omri will establish a house and the house will reign over God's people. Finally, a kingdom of peace has come. But then we read in verses 25 through 26, these ominous words. Omri did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did more evil than all who were before him. For he walked in all the way of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and in the sins that he made Israel to sin, provoking the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger by their idols. Omri is not the new David. He is the anti-David. The parallels of their lives are not meant to show us that Omri is like David, but rather to show us how evil he is compared to the chosen king of God's people. For just like Bashah and Allah and Zimri, Omri walked in all the ways of Jeroboam, not in the ways of David. He may have been a master statesman. He may have had a great intelligence in forming alliances and building cities, but Omri set himself against the Lord and caused the people of Israel to walk in idolatry and wickedness. And how often our earthly hopes and dreams are wrapped up in something other than the reign of Christ. They're wrapped up in those things that appear good, that appear stable and secure, but in reality only end in destruction. And yet history shows us over and over again that people are willing to betray their morals and their faith for the promise of a leader who will give them stability. People will follow a man who promises to give them well-being if they would only hand over their trust in the Word of God and trust their pragmatic ways of establishing peace. As we continue to struggle with how we are to express our political views in the 21st century. My biggest fear as a Christian is not that a certain party will win out over another party. My biggest fear is that Christians will place their hope for a future in a political figure. That our hopes and dreams for this country and for her future will be tied to whether a certain party achieves victory. For we of all people must not trust in a man to bring us salvation, but in God and in His Word alone. And Christian, if you learn nothing else from this morning, know that there is only one King who can give you the peace that your heart longs for. And He doesn't come from the house of Jeroboam or the house of Bashar or the house of Zimri or the house of Omri. He doesn't come from the house of Republican or the house of Democrat. The only king who can lead his people to life is from the house and of the line of David. And of his kingdom and of his peace, there will be no end. And his name is Christ Jesus. He is King of kings. He is Lord of lords. He gave his life to establish his kingdom. He poured out his blood to cover our sins. He rose from the dead to deliver us out of the kingdom of death and darkness into the kingdom of light. And to Him one day every knee will bow in heaven and on earth. And as Isaiah says, kings shall shut their mouths because of Him. For as He is far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named. Throughout our passage, we continue to hear a name that is kind of sitting in the background. 
And it's the name Asa, king of Judah. As each dynasty in Israel rises and falls, it's measured in relation to the reign of Asa, the grandson of David, the ancestor of Christ. The Word of God is calling us to see that it's not from the line of Omri that salvation will come to the people of Israel, but rather from the line of David. The Word of the Lord is set against all kingdoms that do not bow to this king. Because this is where history is going. This is the end. This is the conclusion of the story. And one day, all who claim authority apart from Christ will be humbled as our great God and Savior is exalted. Our study of the lives of Elijah and Elisha begins here, at the founding of the house of Omri. While we do not see either one, we do gain the background upon which their stories are told. For as prophets, they were called by the Lord to bring the Word of God to the house of Omri to bring down this evil kingdom. For truly, This is a kingdom in conflict. Here in the story of Elijah and Elisha, we see that the word of the Lord will prevail even over such a great house as Omri's. There are times when our prophets will despair of their task. There are times when it seems that the kingdom of this world will prevail. But the word of the Lord has set itself against all rivals. The Lord will surely have victory. So where will we find peace this season? Not in the kingdoms of this world, does the Word of God tell us, but in Christ alone, the true Prince of Peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Almighty God, We praise You, for on this day we remember the Gentile kings who came and submitted themselves before the one King of kings, the Lord Jesus Christ, and offered to Him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. We thank You, Lord Jesus, that You have come and You have established a kingdom not by might and force, but through submitting Yourself and humbling Yourself even to the point of death and rising again to establish your eternal kingdom. Oh, may we be like those kings who submitted themselves before you, that we might know the gift of life everlasting. We pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen.